We're going to step out of our Acts series uh, this morning just for a, a kind of a standalone message. This, over this last week, the Gospel of John has been on my mind uh, quite a bit. Um, as I've been in the car, car bit driving, I've been listening to uh, the Gospel of John different, different times and uh, just really want to come to something that stood out to me this week in, in a new way, a fresh way, and I want to share that with you from the text of John 9 as way of introduction and how that kind of leads us to, to John 10, which is where we'll, we'll land eventually. In John 9, if you're, if you're familiar with this story, Jesus uh, heals a blind man. And as he had, had done several times, the, the healing not only changes this, this person's life, but creates a massive controversy. And that's what we find in John chapter 9, this, this huge kind of explosion of opposition from the religious leaders who, who are upset that Jesus has healed this man, and this man now refuses to go along with their denunciation of Jesus. He was a recipient of such overwhelming kindness and mercy and grace, power from God. He knew that Jesus was good, Jesus was to be trusted, Jesus was to be followed. And when they wanted him to, to recant and speak ill of Jesus, he, he refused. And so what they did with this man who had just been healed by the power of God was they cast him out of their community. They, they shunned him, essentially. Now, that story, it's a, it's a fascinating story, but what stood out to me this week as I was looking at John 9 comes from John's pen in verses 35 to 38. Listen to this. Now, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and the man then worshipped Jesus. Now, of course, there's some really amazing things happening here in, in this text, right? Jesus openly declaring to this, to this guy, hey, I am the Son of Man. That's the, this uh, divine figure from Daniel's prophecy, right? The one who's going to come and rule and reign over all things is a true king of all kings, God incarnate. This man even believes and worships Jesus, which Jesus accepts, right? Jesus doesn't say, whoa, whoa, don't worship me. We just, we just worship God. I'm just a prophet. No, he receives that worship because he is God in the flesh. And that's the right response to meeting Jesus and understanding who he is. And as amazing as those things are, though, it's actually that very first sentence that jumped out to me. Did, did you catch it, too? It started out by telling us Jesus went and found this guy. In his pain, in his hurt, in his confusion, this new status of being shunned now from the community, cast out from the place that he had always known, Jesus went and sought him out in that moment. I think that little detail stood out to me as I was headed into John chapter 10 because it's this really masterful connection of what it is that John unpacks about Jesus in John chapter 10, right? And that's what we're going to get to today is John 10 here in just a moment. But I want to get there via another text. And I want to get there via a text probably many of you, if you grew up in church or, or just in you know, kind of broadly church culture, know at least part of this text. Maybe you've memorized this, this whole text. But it's a text that often comes to mind in challenging and difficult and painful moments, and rightly so. I want us to go this morning first to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, if you have your Bibles. And I want to behold and remind ourselves again of who God is and how our relationship with him touches everything about our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn over there to Psalm chapter 23 so you can see this text this morning and hear the Lord speak through it before we go back up into John chapter 10. Let me read Psalm 23 for us. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a well-loved text for a reason. Hopefully just hearing the text this morning kind of stirs something in your soul. This text reflecting on the personal relationship between God and his people. As you undoubtedly know, this text was written by King David, a man who lived the early part of his life as a shepherd himself before he was chosen by God to lead the nation of Israel as their second king. And if you have your Bible in front of you there, or you were looking on the screen behind you, I, I hope you noticed that in, in almost every English translation that, that there is, at the very start and the very end of it, the, the word Lord, when it appeared in that text, showed up in all capital letters, right? And I've explained this before, but I always think it's important to repeat it so, so that you really understand what's happening here. The reason that looks different in our English Bibles, the all caps letter of the rendering of the word Lord, is because it's not the generic Hebrew word for Lord as a title. What, what's actually there in the original language, what, what the Lord inspired, what God inspired to be put down there was actually the name Yahweh. It was this personal covenantal name of God that shows up there in the text. The one that God revealed to his people. This is my personal name. This is the name that I want you to know me by as my special chosen people. I'm not just a God generically. I'm not just a Lord generically. I am Yahweh. That is my name. And that's who I want to be known by with you. But today we read in, in English this this text all the time says, the Lord, the Lord, in all caps. And the reason for that, as I've explained before, is the Jews had a tradition of wanting to so honor and respect that holy name of Yahweh that when they read a text aloud, they wouldn't say Yahweh. They would substitute it for the generic Hebrew word Lord, which is Adonai. And so as these translations began to develop, translators chose to kind of follow that path of the old respect the name of, of the Lord so much that we won't even say it, and they begin to substitute in the Lord like this into various translations. And I, I think the intention was probably really good originally. I, I don't think anyone was trying to be malicious and hide anything from anybody. But I think it was, a, it was a misguided practice. It's not a practice that I think we should really even continue to follow today. In fact, I think as newer Bible translations come out, hopefully we'll see a move towards actually rendering the name of Yahweh as Yahweh instead of kind of this code that we have here in, in the Bible. And it's one of the things I, I really like about a, a new modern translation just came out called the Legacy Standard Bible based on the New American Standard Translation. They made several revisions and changes. One of them was they took out the Lord like this in all caps and put Yahweh into the text. So you know when you read that translation very clearly without having to remember everything I'm telling you now, that's the covenant personal name of God right there. And you'd be amazed how many times that actually shows up in the scriptures when you see it right there in the text. But this practice regarding this translation deal is, is something that it's there. It's easy to understand. Again, nobody's trying to hide anything here. But I believe that God gave the name Yahweh to his people so that we would know him by that name. 
So often when I, when I read the, the text, I say Yahweh instead of the Lord, right? And I, I just kind of do that on the fly. And sometimes if you're looking on the screen, you'll see that I edit it in the text that we put up so that you see it that way. But if you're looking in your Bible, you'll see the Lord there in, in all caps. So here's what David says then. Looking at verse 1, if we were to understand that and kind of unpack the, the code there, David says, Yahweh is my shepherd and I shall not want. I think it's important for us to, to know all of this and to see David using this personal covenantal name of God because everything David is saying about God in this text is personal, right? Yahweh is not just some God. He's not just a Lord generically. He is, yes, the one true God, the King of kings, the creator of all things, sovereign ruler of the universe, the unchanging I am who is eternal. But David is focusing in not just on the bigness and the grandeur and the out there-ness of God, he focuses and says, this God, Yahweh, is my shepherd. It's very, very personal. I want us to think about that today. In the midst of everything we have going on in our lives, in the midst of all the things that cause us worry and fear and concern or hurt or confusion or anxiety, we, like David, get to say, Yahweh is my shepherd. He is that personal for his people, for you, for me. He's not far off. He's not just kind of the boss who's looking over a report of things that took place far away, right? He's not the manager who just, you know, goes around the region, kind of checks in, sees the highlights of what's going on. He is a personal God with us right here in this moment, your life, my life. That's a powerful image when we understand it. So I want us to, to really get it this morning, feel it this morning, the way David felt it when he used this language of Yahweh being his shepherd. David was a shepherd when he was younger, so he knew what it meant for someone to be a good, a faithful shepherd. And a lot of us in this room, we don't have you know, a lot of firsthand experience at shepherding. A few of us in the room do, but it's not the way the Israelites did it at their time, right? It's actually a lot, lot easier today than it was. So I want us to understand what it was like for David what David knew of a shepherd, what the people reading this originally knew of shepherds, and what that means for us. Here's the first point this morning. A shepherd leads his sheep personally. If you've ever kind of heard about this before, you, you would know a shepherd is not the one who follows the sheep wherever the sheep want to go. <laughs> a shepherd doesn't even just try to prod and guide the sheep along from the back. You know, if you've seen the old, I don't know if this is true because I've, I've never raised cattle, but if you see the old Western movies, right, you know how the, the cowboys, they kind of get on their, the horses and they're going to ride around the back of them. They're kind of get everybody going the same direction. They're kind of shaping and moving them that way. That's not what shepherding was like in the ancient world. It, the shepherd got in front of the sheep called to the sheep. They knew his voice, and they would follow him. So he would go first. He would lead the way, and the sheep would follow. Actually, the second point, a shepherd would guide his sheep to where was best for them to go. And, and the thing is, sheep never needed to know the way. <laughs> they didn't even actually really even need to know where they were going. They just needed to know that's the direction the shepherd's headed, so that's the direction that we will follow. He was the, the guide, and he alone had to know the goal of where they were going. He alone had to know the path they were going to take to get there. And he got to choose those things. So wherever he went, the sheep were just to follow and to trust that he would guide them to where was ultimately best for them to go. And a good shepherd, a faithful shepherd, would care for his sheep along the way. Right? Just because he's in front and he's leading them doesn't mean he never looked back to check on them. 
He knew the size of his flock. He knew which sheep were in his flock. And so he cared for them. He knew when they needed to get rest. And so he would let them rest. He knew when they needed sustenance, so he would take them over to, to waters. He knew that they needed to eat, so he led them to pastures where they could graze. He took care of their needs. He met their needs because he cared for his sheep. He didn't want to lose them. He didn't want them to wander off, get hurt, or be killed. A shepherd would then protect his sheep at all times. A caring shepherd was always watching for enemies. He was ready and prepared to defend his flock, whatever would try to harm them. He would commit himself to protecting and defending these helpless little animals who were following him, no matter what risk that may bring to himself. And here's where the life of David, I think, shows us this so beautifully. If you know David's story in the Bible, you know David, as a shepherd, had to defend his flock, right? And he did so against a lion that attacked them one time and a bear another time. And he killed them with nothing more than a sling, a club, and his bare hands. Like, he was willing to put his life on the line that way for his sheep. I think I've, I've probably told this story before, maybe in a sermon, at least in, in some other context. But, you know, when Malia and I were still dating, she, uh, she was from Alaska, right? And she'd come to, to Central Bible College. And so that first summer we were dating, I, I got on a plane with her and went up to Alaska to meet her parents in person. We had done the, uh, the Skype thing, you know, and had met online. But I wanted to go meet them in person, see where she'd grown up, you know, this beautiful state of Alaska that she lived in, and, and have this little trip at the start of the summer. So, so we did. We got up there, and it was wonderful. And a few days into the trip, Malia says, hey, I'm going to take you to Angel Rocks. I'm like, well, that sounds, you know, that's like... Sounds great. You know, she's like, yeah, we're going to hike. The view is incredible. It's beautiful. We're going to have a little picnic. There's this beautiful river down there. I said, oh, man, it sounds, sounds awesome. And, and it was. We went, and it was, it was fantastic. But what I remember most about getting ready to head out on that trip was Paul, Malia's dad, walking up to me and handing me a fully loaded 44 Magnum revolver and a box of ammo <laughs> with no context. <laughs> so my question to him was, you know, I think a good question. Why are you giving me this? And his response was way, way too casual to make me comfortable. Oh, there's bears up there. Bears where? Where you're going? You got to take a gun. There's bears. And you're taking food, and you are food, so you need, a, you need a gun. I'm like, okay. So I put it in the truck. We rode all the way to Angel Rock with this loaded gun right between us. It was, it was something different. Hadn't, had never had that before. He didn't even ask me, like, are you comfortable with a firearm? He just said, there's bears, so take it, you know? So here's the thing, though, about David. David, he didn't have a 44 Magnum. When the bear came to attack the flock, he had, he, had a, he had a club, he had a sling with some rocks, and he had his bare hands, and he didn't run away. And he fought the thing off and kills it. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Why? Because <laughs> David was a really faithful shepherd. Here, here's the fifth thing about a shepherd. A shepherd will dwell with his sheep constantly. See, being a shepherd in the ancient world, this is where it's a lot different for us today. In, in, in the modern West, the, the carrying of sheep is a lot easier when you have fences and you have guard dogs and you have all these kind of things to, to kind of protect your flock while you're not there. But they didn't have any of that in the ancient world. So if you wanted to make sure your sheep were going to be safe, you had to stay with them all the time. It was a lifestyle. A professional shepherd in the ancient world was always there. This is why, if you recall the Christmas stories, we get ready to head into the Advent season, the Christmas time, right? The night Jesus is born and the angels appear on the hillside, who gets to see them first? Shepherds. Why? Because the text tells us they were out there keeping watch over their sheep at night. Because shepherds didn't get a clock out at 5 o'clock. 
say, well, that's the day job, you know, got them, got them there. Now I'm going to go off and do some other things, see them in the morning. If they did that, they'd all be dead. So the shepherd stayed. He dwelled with the sheep to keep watch over them and to care for them all throughout the day and the night, too. So all of that is what David had done. He'd experienced as a shepherd before he was king. And so when he writes Psalm 23 and he says, Yahweh is my shepherd, that's what he's thinking of. It's those experiences. That's what God, Yahweh, does for his people, but in an even more perfect and powerful way than any human shepherd could ever do, right? Listen again to the first three verses of Psalm 23. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All those actions are very personal, right? They're the works of a shepherd who cares for his flock personally. And David is saying in just those first three verses, the the first three things we said that were true about good and faithful shepherds are true of Yahweh. Yahweh leads his people personally. Yahweh guides his people to where is best. And Yahweh cares for his people along the way. David's saying, God himself, Yahweh, is the shepherd of me personally. So, so what need could I have? What concern could I have that I cannot bring to him that he could not provide for? He'll take care of me. I can, I can trust him like a sheep will trust a shepherd. When I need rest, well, he'll like make me lie down in a green pasture. When I need refreshing, he'll take me over to the still waters. When I'm weary and worn out, he'll restore my soul. When I don't know where to go or what to do, he will lead me in the paths of righteousness. So David's question is, what more could I need? What more could I want than this? My God, Yahweh himself, is my shepherd. And these first three verses, right, they're just so encouraging. They're so beautiful. They're so reassuring that if we're honest, we can read those first three verses, see these first three truths, and go, let's just camp out there with the Lord. (laughs) That sounds great. Still waters, green pastures, paths of righteousness. Who doesn't want to live there? But David transitions on in the next few verses to talking about the realities of life that are a lot less pleasant, right? To consider, yes, but but certainly to experience. Something that's a lot more the reality of our lives in this broken and fallen world is what we find in the next two verses. Look at 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Moving from green pastures and still waters to the valley of the shadow of death and the presence of my enemies. That doesn't sound like a great deal, does it? (laughs) It doesn't sound like the path we might choose for ourselves if we were our own shepherd leading the way, right? But those experiences are the reality for so many of us in so many different points of our lives, aren't they? The realities we face, some some of us facing even right now, where we find ourselves in dark seasons, places where death surrounds us, where enemies are real, not just figurative, where it doesn't seem like there's any peaceful pastures, places of refreshing and comfort for us. But in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the hard moments, what David is doing is he's reminding himself, when I'm in those moments, I know the one who is leading me. 
He is my shepherd. Yahweh is my guide. He's the one going forward. He's the one taking me this direction. So I, as the sheep of his pasture, will follow him. And you know David had dark times too, right? Like it's not just beautiful, all great, you know, David living in the first three verses and then like, well, maybe it gets bad, so I'll put four and five in there. For some people, like David experienced really, really dark times in his life too. He starts out as the shepherd. He gets anointed as the king, right? But before he gets to sit on the throne as king and rule over all of Israel, he's on the run for years from the first king of Israel, who's still on the throne, Saul, who's insanely jealous of David and keeps trying to kill him, right? I mean, he's like, oh, no, David, we're good. We're cool. Come back in. Play some music. David comes in. He's playing some music. Saul gets angry, grabs a spear, and tries to kill him in the, in the throne room, right? Like, he understood the reality of enemies. He goes, at times, and goes, hides in caves with enemies literally right outside the cave system, searching for him, trying to find him so they can kill him. Like, he's been in dark times. At the end of his life, he faces more dark times. He's king, he's been on the throne for a long time, and then one of his sons leads a rebellion against him, forces David to flee the city as soldiers pursue him, again, to murder him, so that the son thinks, oh, if I kill my dad, then I can get all the power for myself. Like, David experiences the reality of the valley of shadow of death, of being surrounded by enemies. He knows what this is like. And in the midst of all of it, he says, no matter what I face, really good times or these really, really difficult times, I know that my shepherd is leading me and he will protect his sheep. That's the fourth point. That's what a faithful shepherd does. And Yahweh, as a faithful shepherd, protects his people at all times. David says that to bring himself comfort, even in the valley of the shadow of death, because no matter what's happening around him, he knows that his shepherd God is there. And his God, the one who's led him to and then through that moment has a plan, a purpose through it all. He's walking with him. It's going to be for the best. So in the final verse, David's hope is an eternal one, not a temporary one. Look at verse 6. David says, For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. All right, that's, that, that's, that's the long view that David's taking, right? Isn't that amazing confidence? David says, my, my shepherd, God himself, he's the one in front of me. He's the one leading me and guiding me and taking me a, a place I may not want to go now temporarily, a path I may not have chosen for this moment myself, but I know where we're ultimately going. He's not just taking us to a nice field, a fun place to visit. He's taking us to his home, to dwell with us forever. And I love that he says, so, so even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, even when enemies surround me, he says, as I look ahead, I see my Savior leading me forward. I see the shepherd I trust going that direction. And when I look back, you know what I see? Not all the enemies and not all the death that we narrowly escaped. He says, I look back and I see goodness and mercy. Literally, the, the, the word in Hebrew is pursuing me. <laughs> he says, so no matter how bad it looks all around me, when I look ahead, I see my Lord, my shepherd. And when I look back, I see he's been good and faithful all this time. And he's leading us to his very own house. Because like a good shepherd, Yahweh will dwell with his people forever. 
As I said, I spent a lot of time this week thinking about the text in the Gospel of John. We've been in Psalm 23 for a long time, but particularly John chapter 10 stands out to me. And when I think about John chapter 10, that always brings me back to Psalm 23. That's why we we did that this morning. But if you turn to John chapter 10 and you look in verse 11, you find these words of Jesus in the middle of talking about sheep, talking about shepherds. Jesus makes this claim, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just a few verses later, he repeats the claim in, in, in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And several other places in the Gospels and in the, the New Testament letters will be written after this point. The, the, Jesus is called the shepherd of his people repeatedly. Matthew 9, 36, Hebrews 13, 20, 1 Peter 2, uh, 25 and 5, 4, just some examples. This idea of Jesus as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the true shepherd is just all over Scripture because Jesus makes it really clear in his teaching here in John 10, that's who he is. He's the one who cares for his sheep. He's the one who knows his sheep. He's the one who will even lay down his own life for the sheep. And so my mind always goes back to Psalm 23 and says everything David was celebrating about Yahweh is perfectly embodied in Jesus. That's who he is. Powerful revelation of who Jesus is, isn't it? So in the midst of our lives, in the midst of of this week that we're in, this coming week that we will have, the one after that, and whether you're in those green pasture moments or you're in the valley of the shadow of the death, no matter where we find ourselves, we understand Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus is our good shepherd guiding us through everything that we will encounter. So to take our, our points and to refine them even further, Understand this morning, Jesus leads his people personally. He's in charge. He's with you. He's walking with you. He's leading you onward. He's not passively just swinging by to check on you occasionally or reading some reports about how your flock that you're a part of is doing. He is personally your good shepherd who's up front, who's going before you. He's headed a certain direction, guiding you and leading you on. And sometimes... The way he leads us, it's a mystery to us because we are just the sheep. (laughs) And we don't get to choose the path or vote on how we're going to get where we're headed. But that's okay because Jesus guides his people to where is best. We don't always know the way. We don't know why sometimes it's a valley instead of over the mountain path. But our good shepherd is our guide. And if he's chosen that path, then it is right and good. And he will intentionally, personally guide us through even if only he knows the reason why we go through what we go through in this life. We may never see it. We may never understand it until we reach the end. But ultimately, we can trust that he does all of this because Jesus cares for his people along the way. Never think that just because Jesus has led you into a dark, a difficult, a painful, or a confusing season, it means he doesn't care for you. Don't let your circumstances dictate your theology about who Jesus is and how he feels. Hear Jesus saying, this is who I am. This is what I feel. This is what I'm doing. And trust him. Fight in your minds to know he does care for you in those darkest moments. 
he is with you. That's the greatest proof of how much he cares is he promises he's with you right there in your pain and suffering. You never in your moment of mourning, sorrow, sickness, any other emotion you may feel, you never have to go, let me get through that and then I'll go over to Jesus. Let me, let me get cleaned up and then I'll go to Jesus. He's right there in those hard moments with you. That's where he wants to be. That's where he wants to meet you. That's where you will find out it's true that his care and compassion are real and personal and surpassingly and surprisingly good. You'll find it in the hard moments. You'll find that he will see your need for rest and give you refreshing. He will restore your soul when you rely upon him and seek him when all seems dark. That's when he will bring healing to you. When you come to him with your hurt, with your sorrow, with your griefs, with your brokenness, with your messes, that's where you'll find he is the healer. He is the restorer. He is the one who can make what is broken, what is ash, into something beautiful. He is the one you will find in your darkest, hardest moments that can give you peace. When everything about you says you should be anxious, when the questions overflow from our hearts and our minds, when we're dreaming of other paths and other possibilities and thinking, what if he hadn't led me this way but, but that way? In those moments is when you'll know what the Bible says is a peace that surpasses understanding. You just have to experience it. I can't, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> you'll find Jesus truly does care for you and he understands you. And he knows exactly where you are and what you're dealing with. And that's good because he has good for us as a result of his care for us. We can trust that Jesus will protect his people at all times. It doesn't mean we won't face attacks, right? I mean, it was true for David. The, the lion and the bear still came, even though the shepherd was there to protect them. It doesn't mean sickness never comes upon the flock. It certainly does. And it doesn't even mean that we will never have to face and deal with death. Certainly, we do. It means, though, that ultimately Jesus wins the battle for us. Because we're far weaker and more fragile than we want to admit, usually. There's just so much in life that we really can't overcome, no matter the bravado we want to put forward. I, I can conquer it. I got this, right? Some of you, you're hearing David going, yeah, David killed a lion with, with a stick, a club, and, and some rocks, and a sling in his bare hand. You're like, yeah, I got it. I could do it, too. Let's go. You know, and maybe JJ could. I don't know. I mean, the guy hunts with a bow and a piece of string. Like, what is that? You know, maybe. I don't know. But, but if it's me, you know what I'm doing? I'm choosing the 44 Magnum in the box of ammo. And even then, I know it's not guaranteed that I'm getting out of this alive. Like, there's a lot of danger in this life, a lot we're going to face in this life that's going to be hard to overcome. But the most dangerous thing in this life, it's not a trial or a challenge, a sickness, a disease, or a predator. The most dangerous thing to us in our lives, our greatest enemy in our lives, it's us and our sinfulness. And Jesus tells us, reveals himself to us in the scripture as the good shepherd who not only will defend us and deliver us, but will deal with that greatest enemy for us. That's what the cross shows us so clearly. That that's how far the good shepherd will go for his sheep all the way to the point of death himself, in our place, taking on all of our sins, suffering all the wrath of God that we deserve, he steps in personally to defend and deliver us and protect us from what we have brought upon ourselves in our sin.
Which leads us to the final point. Jesus will dwell with his people forever. In John 10, he says this in verse 3. For the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and will lead them out. Back in John 6, Jesus promised, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Christians, this this promise of Jesus and his presence and his dwelling with us is so sweet and comforting. Jesus isn't going to lose any of his sheep. (laughs) Even when we begin to wander, even when we begin to kind of try to separate ourselves from the flock like we talked about before, he loves us so much that he goes and gets us and brings us back. He's not going to lose us. He knows us by name, knows you by name. So he calls, he walks with us, he leads us, he guides us, he cares for us, he protects us, he delivers us, and he will keep us. Jesus is our good shepherd. So echoing the confidence of David in Psalm 23, what more do we need? Jesus is our shepherd. So the question today is this, to examine our own hearts in light of who Jesus is and, and, and how he wants to relate to us. The question is, what voice are you listening to today in your life? Are you hearing Jesus' voice or are you listening to a different voice? Are you listening to your own voice? Are you trying to, to lead yourself as if you're really the shepherd? You're not just a sheep, you're a shepherd in your life. Are you trying to do that? Or are you trying to follow some other voice? Are you listening to some other leader? Are you, are you relying on some other religion or some set of behaviors? Are you listening to something else that's leading you in a path that's maybe just pleasant right now, but ultimately won't lead to eternity with the good shepherd? If you're not a Christian, if you're not hearing his voice in your life day by day, then, then today I would invite you to to try and set aside whatever it is you're listening to and hear the voice of Jesus calling out to you today. He tells us there in verse 3, the sheep will hear their shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That wasn't just true then when Jesus said this. This has been what he has been doing for ages all around the world, in all kinds of different languages. This is why any of us this morning who are his people are his people. He's called us by name. We've heard that. We've responded to that. And if you haven't ever heard that or responded to that, then today I'm inviting you to listen for the voice of the shepherd. Hear him calling out. Hear who he claims to be, what his character is like, what his promises are, and Come and follow him. He is the only good shepherd, the only true God, and real life and everlasting joy and peace, it will only be found in him. So if I could take the the liberty to read Psalm 23 to you again, but this time with the clarity and the knowledge we have living this side of the cross, knowing who the good shepherd really is, I'm going to pray these words would just stir in your soul a little bit. Psalm 23, as we know it now. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, Jesus, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of Jesus, my Lord, my God, my good shepherd, forever. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then our our response time is going to be this. We have a a song queued up, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. The lyrics will be on on the screen to you, but we're going to play that, and I I want to give everyone a chance in this room, so we're not going to have the the worship team up here. We're just going to give everyone a chance to take a few moments to listen for the voice of Jesus calling out to us today. Maybe for the first time, this will be the first time you, you hear it and you respond to it. Maybe, maybe you're a sheep who's been wandering away from the flock a little bit, and today he's calling you back in. We have lots of needs in this room too, so maybe as we quiet our hearts and we begin to, to think about, Lord, what is it that I need to trust you with? What is it that I need to give over to you, believing you're going to guide me through and protect me through and lead me through? Maybe, maybe you're going to need to give some things to God in prayer today. And so I want to give us a, a chance to do that. You have about four minutes to do that. So don't waste the time. Don't think, oh, okay, let's get through the second, third chorus, then I'll really dig in. Like, let's, let's go from the outset. Let's listen and let's give it all to Jesus. Can we do that this morning? Let's respond to him. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for your word that is so clear and so beautiful in revealing to us who you are. I pray in these next few minutes, Lord, this short time that we have, while this song plays, while some of us will lift our voices, while others of us will just just humbly give over things to you, that you would work among us, Lord, that we would feel your presence, we would know you are the shepherd who is here, you're good, you're with us, you're righteous, you're reliable, and that, Lord, we would respond to you in a powerful way, Lord, as you long to make us ready for the paths that you will lead us down the moment we begin to walk out these doors. We thank you for who you are, and we look to you now, fixing our eyes on you who are before us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.